The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello, and welcome everyone to The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. In this episode, we dive into the book, Members Club, A User's Guide to the Penis by Dr. Piet Horbeck, a urologist. We go balls deep with my good friend, Alex Nori Ballesteros. Over a series of four episodes, Alex and I have a few schlong conversations based on each chapter of Dr. Piet's book. In this second episode, we go through chapters in the book covering foreskin, circumcision, premature ejaculation, and ways to manage it, pelvic floor exercises in men, and how they can be useful the penile microbiome, and we talk about erections. Why are erections vital to maintaining a healthy penis? And what may losing a morning erection mean for a man's health? These podcasts are for everyone, whether you have a penis or not. I learned so much from both reading this book and navigating each of its chapters with Alex. I hope you enjoy our chat. Welcome back, Alex. Thanks, Tash. We are now going to venture into the world of the foreskin. Foreskin. Something I know a little bit about. (laughs) What is the foreskin, Alex? Can you tell our listeners what a foreskin Um, is? It's a bit of crinkled skin on the end of your penis. So it's not just an excess flap of skin, though, that hangs over your penis, is it? It's got a couple of important functions, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you tell us about that? Um. Well, from a from a sexual perspective, it obviously has a bunch of nerve endings in there, so it you know makes sex feel better. But because it, it slides back and forth, it helps reduce friction, so it makes sex easier. Um, and it would have a protective mechanism. Sex easier for the woman or for the man or for the partner, whoever that is. Both. Okay. So uh, our author here says that it it protects the glands penis. Mm-hmm. So firstly, we must protect our organs, and that's what the foreskin does, the sensitive structure at the end of the penis head. Second, yes, as you've just said, the foreskin, which is sexually sensitive, allows the semen to be ejaculated quickly. In the dangerous world of our ancestors, they needed to be able to ejaculate before they were attacked by a beast or some other threat. So it wasn't until I read this book that I thought to myself, oh, is that why men ejaculate quickly sometimes? Because there is some ancestral kind of evolutionary reason. I I think enjoying sex is really a modern thing for both partners. Mm. I think, you know, either apes or even early hominids would have just been like, all right, pump and dump. Literally wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Exactly. Mm. The foreskin he's written here has a bigger surface area than most people think. If you open it up completely, it is about the size of a postcard. (laughs) When I read that, I'm like, what? How big is this postcard? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, people talk about opening up the – if you could stretch out the the large intestine, it's like the length of a tennis court or whatever. Like, yeah. Or the labia minora. Re- the, okay, tell me. I don't know about this. You know the labia minora? Yeah, I know the, what it is. The, but the pink frilly bits that yeah, are, yeah, yeah. I think, analogous to the foreskin, aren't they? I thought that would have been the majora. Isn't the majora the No, al- the majora al- is analogous to the scrotum. Right, okay. I could be wrong, but I'm mm. pretty sure. 
and the and yeah the menorah the pink frilly bits, which um unfortunately in some parts of the world does get chopped off. Oh. Um, <laughs> we know about female circumcision. There was an episode I did on the fanny mechanic um, that I published uh, last year where I did talk to Dr. Nezrin, Professor Nezrin Varol about um, female circumcision, and of course when men have their uh, foreskin removed, that is male circumcision, but kind of has taken a different, I don't know, uh, conversation than the female. Yeah, it's really entrenched in tradition and culture, especially Western culture. Um, you know, I've still got my foreskin. I love my foreskin. Uh, it, I just, I think any argument that people try and make for removing, what I see is mutilation to a baby. It's taking part of their body off them without their consent because they can't give consent. They're a baby. Uh, and that's going to affect them for the rest of their life. You know, you take that away, you take um, part of, if not the whole, the frenulum away. You're taking a lot of pleasure away from this person for the rest of their life. And any argument that people try and make using it as a prophylactic technique to try and say, oh, you know, that they might develop this disease or this inflammatory disorder or whatever, that's null and void. You wouldn't change... It wouldn't affect 100% of people with something that only affects 5%. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, in the book that I, he talks a lot about a lot about the historical aspects of, of how circumcision evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the bottom line with for the foreskin is that uh, in any event, he's got here the glands penis of circumcised men is less sensitive than the glands penis of uncircumcised men. So he talks a lot about the glands, which we'll talk about later, but also foreskin and how all of that together uh, does maximise sensitivity um, for the man. Uh, He talks about how the oldest known illustration of a circumcision comes from ancient Egypt and dates back as far as 5,000 years ago. Uh, Does that surprise you that he talks about ancient Egypt? No, I think, well, the ancient Egyptians had different techniques for different things, like they had a their own archaic version of the pregnancy test and stuff. So they, they did yeah, pretty and, smart people, the ancient Egyptians. And uh, contraceptives. They did interesting things with contraception as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, the practice took off, that is the practice of removing the foreskin or sacrificing the foreskin. Um, it took off after ancient Egypt uh, as per record and is still performed today. The World Health Organization estimates that 30% of men are circumcised. Uh, that means that there's 665 million exposed penises out there, penis heads out there, and this figure dates back to, uh, to 2007. And, of course, the world's population has grown since. Um, one location where circumcision came about was in northeast Africa where uncircumcised men went to war. A combination of zmegma, dust, sand, and lack of water made the foreskin become inflamed. And so that their warriors and their men at war uh, wouldn't become ill from all of this, then they started sacrificing the foreskin. Can you explain to our listeners what smegma is? Smegma? <laughs> smegma is the 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 build up, the if you will, dick cheese. Dick um, cheese. Yeah, that, that builds up underneath the, the kind of the stuff the in your ears that you got to clean out sometimes. <laughs> um, <ugh>. <laughs> yeah, similar thing, isn't it? It's just it's just. Uh, you know, penis ricotta. Penis ricotta. 
<laughs> Sorry if I've put anyone off ricotta. Not I love ricotta. Not Gorgonzola. Manchego. Mascarpone. Manchego. Because I'm a Spanish, I have to go with Manchego. <laughs> I'd um, have to go with feta then. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, everyone, all men have smegma and they really should clean their smegma when they have a shower if they've got foreskin. And we'll talk about ways to clean clean your um, penis later. Um, he says here this historical sources suggest that a quarter of soldiers from this time, around 2,500 BC, fell sick from foreskin problems. Wow. See, that's a scenario where I think a prophylactic is really smart. Mm. And removing the foreskin, if you have a culture of warriors that are, that are going to be doing this warrior deal, mm. you know, it makes sense. And this and, was pre-antibiotics, of course. Yeah. Yeah, people yeah. died a lot from infection. 100%. I go, yep, take it off. Makes sense. Circumcision therefore began as a practical procedure, yeah. a way of keeping soldiers healthy in an environment where they couldn't wash. And then, of course, you know, Egypt being where it is, um, offering their foreskin to Ra, the sun god, ignorant of the fact that sacrifice came in most handy when the pharaoh was going to war. Later, the practice was taken on in various ways by other peoples from the region, hence Jews and Arab Muslims who still, um, you know, perform circumcision routinely uh, to, to, to this day. Um, in Jewish people, Alex, mm-hmm. uh, circumcision strictly takes place on the seventh day after birth, true or false? True. I wonder why it's seven. Seven days that God created the earth, I yeah. guess. Everything I, I've told it, I keep telling people I'm going to um, write a book about the number seven one day because there's seven in everything. Mm. Yeah. Can I tell you an interesting fact as well with Orthodox Jews? Sure. That after the rabbi removes the foreskin, he then sucks the penis to stop the bleeding. Is that true? Yes. You're 100% Go look it up. sure I'm 100% that. sure oh, okay. that is correct. Okay. I had a discussion the other day with someone. They were like, nah, nah. Google it. Yeah. I. Whatever people can practice a religion as they want, I'm, you know, not religious myself. I suppose but, it's like, you know. Um, but that just, mm. uh, uh, I don't know, that grosses me out. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but, I, you know. I have to ask, uh, I have to ask about that. I'm not, yeah, I've, I've never heard of that before. Wow. I wonder why. There's always, a, there was, there's, there's always a, like a religious yeah. reason. There's always a, yeah, I don't know. T- tamponading the bleeding. Tamponading? Is that what they're called? That's a, that's a. Kind of a medical term for stopping blood flow. Yeah. Tamponade something. Um, On the other hand, female circumcision is above all manifestation of sexual repression, a way to deny women sexual pleasure. pleasure. So head over to my episode with Dr. Nesrin Barrow to go into that further. When, um, oh yeah, he then talks about circumcised penises um, and HIV. He's got here, a circumcised penis has a slightly less chance of contracting the HIV virus. True or false? True. True. But unfortunately, um, circumcised men all too often think they are fully protected. This makes their risk of infection even greater because they believe a condom isn't necessary. Um, Interesting about this guy, John Harvey Kellogg, the guy, the medical doctor who invented cornflakes. Yep. God, I love cornflakes as a kid anyway. He promoted circumcision as a way to stop boys from masturbating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more pleasant the circumcision, the the more unpleasant the circumcision, the better. Reason Kellogg. The operation should be performed by a surgeon without administering an anesthetic, he says, as the brief pain attending the operation will have a salutary 
effect upon the mind, especially if it be connected with the idea of punishment, as it may well be in some cases. Now, one, uh, one thing that uh, Piet, the author, talks about a lot in this book is really the importance of actually men using their penis, masturbating, using it in any, you know, sex with a partner, whatever, because it's very, it's vital for the um, the health of the penis. So um, keeps the hydraulic Keeps the hydraulics, yeah. yeah. So it's a shame that, uh, you know, in some cultures uh, masturbation is considered wrong uh, or associated with with guilt. Well, a random, any- random fact about the Kellogg brothers, they mm. were the ones that started, they were Seventh-day Adventists mm. and they started out the, um, the Dietetics Association in America and, the, you know, whatever came from that. But- one of the reasons they they recommended people to to not eat meat was because they believed that meat increases carnal desires. They were very much against sex and masturbation and stuff like that. So that hearing that one hundred percent fits in line with their kind of mm. modus operandi at the time. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, we're going to talk about food later on, and and what foods mm. may be good or bad for the peni penises. Um. It has been shown that cervical cancer is less common in Jewish women than in populations where men are usually not circumcised, true or false. True. Uh, true, that's correct. But then you've got to kind of look at other things, you know. Uh, are Jewish women less likely to slip around? Are they less likely to use the pill? Who knows? There are so many other things that, um, you know, expose women to HPV, which we know causes the um causes cervical cancer so but also jewish people are more like especially Ashkenazi jews are way more likely to get certain you know have bad eyesight or there's different um disorders and diseases they're more likely to get because of the very high likelihood of early on a lot of interbreeding Mm. so me being a descendant of Ashkenazi jews all right 17 percent all right you did that ancestry yeah yeah so it is it is quite likely that there wasn't quite a yeah. bit of interbreeding that caused some issues down the track. So now, uh, so maybe I was just going to say as well. Mm. Maybe they've developed with that a mutation that they're less likely to get those things. Maybe or, it's got nothing to do with circumcision. Yeah, true, true. Maybe they've got something in their immune <clears throat> gene makeup where they can actually read of certain things that others can't. Very true. Mm. Um, if you if you had a son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your partner wanted your son circumcised, but you didn't want to, what would mm. happen there, you think? I would put my foot down. That's something I'd be very strong about. If there was, if we, as the child was developing, if we saw there was a reason to, a health reason, um, like I keep getting, you know, inflammatory disorder and we couldn't fix it, then I'd consider it. But just from a purely aesthetic or religious or whatever traditional um perspective that that's something i'm very big on i think it's it's horrible to not have a practical reason to do it and then to do it like with the the female genital mutilation obviously with the females it's worse because they you know they may cut the clitoris and stuff like that but with men it's just they can still enjoy pleasure afterwards so it's not as bad but still it's so ubiquitous across society it's such a normal thing most of the penises you see in porn are circumcised is that right yeah and I think why is that? 
I think because most men in America are circumcised. Oh. So they gave and most the, porn comes from America. Yeah. Most porn that you'll see, you or I will see, will come from America. Right. If it comes from Europe or something, it might okay. be different. Yeah. But most porn production companies over mm. there, you know, they're from America. So is that because aesthetically other Americans prefer yeah, well, circumcised penises? No, I think it's just the fact that most I th- you know how we said 30% of men yeah. worldwide are circumcised? Yeah. I would hazard a guess and say that it's probably a higher percentage of men in America. Okay. And they've got the highest percentage of Jewish population in the world, higher than Israel and stuff. So the last statistic I read, this was from about 10 years ago or so, if not more, was about um, how many was it? Was it 300,000 men in America Jewish? I can't, sorry. Eliminate that. I can't actually remember the statistic, but that it definitely has, America has the highest population of Jewish people in the world for any country. Outside of Israel or just full No, in the world. Okay. More than Israel. There's more Jewish people in America than there is in Israel. Yeah. Because there's just more people there. Yeah. So you've got a population of, you know, what, 350 million that America have. Let's randomly say that 50% of them are circumcised. It's a lot of circumcised penises. Mm. And then you've got a lot of them. You know, going into porn, mm. you're going to see a lot of that. So. Which is a huge industry in the States. Yeah. Here in his book, he talks about uh, in Germany, a boy took legal action against his parents for having him circumcised against his will. He won the case, albeit to the great dissatisfaction of religious minorities. Good on him, <laughs> I say. Uh, oh, look, the author talks about his penis. I've circumcised, I'm circumcised myself. And that was my own choice. I was 24 and my boyfriend at the time was already circumcised. We talked about it for a long time and in the end I decided I would do it too. I've never regretted my decision. The most important thing, however, was that uh, it was a conscious decision that I had made. I and nobody else was deciding about my foreskin. If people are circumcised when they are old enough to make an informed decision, I have no problem with that. A Muslim who is circumcised later in life, great idea. Amen. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm politically central uh, centrist. I'm, I guess, probably libertarian leaning, if anything. And uh, I 100% agree. You can do whatever you want with your body. Um, and the, the bigger the change, I think maybe you go see a psychologist and all that kind of stuff. But in that circumstance, if you're older and you want to get rid of your foreskin, um, I'm 100% for it. I'm just against doing it to babies. Mm. When someone ha- can't have informed consent, if that person isn't legally allowed to so- like to sign something off, if they're not legally allowed to to drink alcohol, why is it okay to cut the end of their penis off? That is insanity to me. If there's no practical reason for health reasons, why? Mm. I-, I don't think anyone can come up with a good answer. Mm. You can't be oh, you know, in the in the Old Testament they said this, or you know, in the Torah they yeah, said some that. people still feel that way. Yeah, I suppose that's their business. If you want to follow tradition as an adult, that's mm. fine. Mm. But I think imparting that on a kid, I will die on that hill. I'm sorry. That's something that I will die on a hill for is harming children for whatever reason that isn't a health or pragmatic reason. If that's going to help the, the, the child later on, I think it's fine. But for any other reason, um, I, I can't agree with it. Yeah, I think in, when it all goes well, it's okay. But when that... That um, circumcision goes badly and it's botched, and the kid suffers a consequence. Then, hey, 
Even it's, if it's they a don't. Form, it's a form of abuse, really. Even if they don't. If you if you said to someone, okay, growing up, I'm going to remove, let's say, 20%, 30% of your sexual pleasure for the rest of your life, mm. would you want to impart that on someone? No. Mm. So I think it's just, I don't know, I'm, I'm not not a fan of it. He's got here the decreased sensitivity after a circumcision isn't necessarily a bad thing. The more sensitive your penis, the easier you orgasm, but who wants to climax as quickly as possible per se? Sex isn't a race against the clock now that our homes protect us from hungry animals and curious onlookers. Circumcision can therefore bring solace to men who ejaculate prematurely, especially in combination with numbing lubricants. I always recommend trying numbing ointment after, sorry, first before sacrificing your foreskin. Mm-hmm. So, wow, yeah, imagine. Uh, and there's different techniques, once again, mm. like we talked in, was in the last episode, didn't we, about, um, you know, penis, manual penis enlargement techniques. What is manual penis techniques, I should say, because not, not all of them are about enlargement. So what is one way of um, a man preventing himself from ejaculating? So different techniques it? that I've yeah. I've used before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when, when you use them regularly, I find they're actually very effective. Mm-hmm. Just I get lazy at them. But um, so edging, using, using edging. So for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's masturbating or having sex until the point where you're close to orgasm, but you're not at that, part, that point of no return. Because once you get past that, you're done. But I think it's much easier with masturbation because you can control it a lot more and you're not going to disappoint a partner that way. So with, you know. Well, I think if you, as long as you're telling your partner, hey, I've got to stop um, for a yeah. second, I think that communication and talking to them about what you're doing is important. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you don't avoid the disappointment. Yeah, I think it's it's good. And if your partner is open to that and you've got a very, you know, open line of communication and they're, they're and, and if it's legitimately a problem, I, I imagine most partners would be very open to it because if you're working on it, then they're they're going to improve their sex life by default. So, and maybe some partners would be like, "Hey, man, just get it over and done with. <laughs> Don't worry about edging." Yeah, <laughs> depends. I've 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 actually been on both ends of the spectrum. A couple of times I've had premature ejaculation for whatever reason. Usually it's because I'm really tired or stressed or something. Um, but there's been times in my life where I, I can't can't ejaculate. Doesn't matter what, like I would have to furiously masturbate to get anything out. Mm. Um, so it's not, I would say either end of the spectrum isn't the easiest thing. It's I nice. suppose it depends on the end goal as well, doesn't it? I mean, if you're having premature ejaculation and your intention is when you're having sex that that day, that very moment is to get your woman pregnant, then yes, that's potentially an issue. But if you're masturbating and you premature ejaculate, like does it really matter? <laughs> uh, when Yeah, it tends not really to happen too much when you masturbate, I think. It's more... Sexual. So yeah. obviously, you know, we can talk later about the psychology of everything mm. that goes behind it. Uh, but with, with edging, it's something that I, I think works really well. So, you you know, you'd masturbate. Just just Google it, you know, if you're really interested in it. Um, but you'd, you'd masturbate to, to you're getting, starting to feel close. Then you just, you just stop. I usually just would take my hands off. Um, if I'm watching porn, I'll like, you know, switch tabs. I'll watch something on YouTube for a couple of minutes think just to- you. Yeah. Think of your grandma. Oh, maybe sometimes that'll encourage other things for some people. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, is that also, you've heard of uh, Kegels, obviously, you know, most people have heard yes. of what Kegels are. All women, I assume, have heard of Kegels pelvic floor exercises. Yep. So Kegels can be really good for men, but the issue with Kegels is by contracting the pelvic floor, that can encourage ejaculation. So uh, you can do what's called a reverse Kegel. Mm. 
So if you think of, you know, I want all men that, if women want to as well, all men that are listening to this podcast right now, just to um, think about doing a, a, a quiet wee or cutting off their wee so they can just squeeze their, their butthole and they should feel, um, you know, the testicles, the penis kind of come up a little bit. And make sure if you're, if you're driving, you don't, you know, look down and do this, keep your eyes on the road, but you can feel that all activating. So what you would do. That is, is then, that is actually. That's a Kegel. Floor. That's a Kegel. That's, that's a, a Kegel. Floor yep. yep. So you have to learn how to do a Kegel before you can reverse Kegel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just go into a Kegel as hard as you can, hard as you can, you know, for five to 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Then you do the opposite. So you basically, you push out, push the belly out. You're trying to relax. Um, I've heard people use the the cue for breathing into your balls. So if you take a deep breath in, trying to stretch the pelvic floor out, um, you should feel, you know, your anus, your, your rectum, whatever, um, relaxing as much as possible. So it's as if, as if you were trying to, you know, trying to fart or something, that yep. kind of, that kind mm-hmm. of uh, technique. So that would be a reverse Kegel. And I find it's really good if you're edging to get to that point and then practice reverse Kegels to dissipate as much tension away from the pelvic floor as possible. And you can repeat those techniques and then during, do it during sex as well. So, you know, if I feel like I'm getting, you know, with my girlfriend, I, I get to a point where I'm getting close and I don't want to finish. Um, I'll either slow down or I'll, I'll, I'll stop completely and I'll just breathe slow into my belly, do reverse Kegels, and that helps to dissipate some of that tension. Yeah, I actually found it very, very useful. Any other techniques? Um, I mean, there are other techniques where you can – Technically, you can cause pain. There is one where um, on the, uh, the perineum, some people will press into that mm. and that will stop um, semen coming out. But I think that's probably yeah. not the best idea because you might get some backflow. Yeah, I don't know, it might, might go into the bladder or something like that. So mm. um, I don't recommend that technique, even if you've seen it. I think. Isn't that a good way to complete the emptying of your bladder as well? What do you mean? By pressing that area or am I wrong? Oh, after you've urinated? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can do that. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then we can talk about sitting down to pee after that. If mm, you want. Yes, that's coming up. But yeah, well, as far as premature ejaculation goes, I think it's one of those things that practice, edging, uh, and, and the most important thing in sex is just open communication with your partner. Yeah, he talks about that a lot, talking about things with your partner. Mm. And just taking your time to breathe, use use the breath, slow your breath down. Um, if you need to stop, you stop, you wait a minute, you go again. And it's these practicing techniques that build up a tolerance and, you know, they, they are effective, but you have to be on top of it. Mm. You have to work at it. I mean, there is, I've used this one a few times where for round one, you just nut one out and then <laughs> you can try and go for round two. You know, there is a refractory period, but after that, usually you can kind of go for a bit longer. And, um, you know, like in There's Something About Mary. Yes, movie. Yeah, in the movie. That's what um, that that scene, the, the famous scene where Cameron Diaz gets the oh, yeah, spunk the, in the, her hair. The, the junk in her hair. Yeah, well, before that, Ben Stiller's friend, I can't remember the character's name, but he recommends to him before you go out on a date so you're not nervous and whatever, nut one out. And that- Does that work? Yeah, tends to, re- right. to reduce the nerves a little bit. All oh, right, so that then if you go then go home with your partner and have sex, you're less likely to. Yeah, you don't have all this build up nervous oh, tension. All right, that's that can help. Um, or if you're going to go to someone's house, 
you know, to mm. have sex if you know that that's happening, it can help to, yeah, to right. not one out first. It's, not, it depends. Not one out first. Not one out. <laughs> Last one. So going back to the uh, foreskin, mm-hmm. uh, question for you. Complications occur in 50% of all circumcisions, but fortunately they are not all serious, true or false. Complications occur in 50%? Yeah. Uh, I'd say false. That sounds like way too high. Yeah, it's actually 1%. Yeah, I was like, that's ridiculous. That's no yeah. way. Yeah, otherwise most people probably wouldn't get them. Mm. Um, if the remaining foreskin doesn't heal well, you will get some nasty scarring. Men who are circumcised too tight can suffer from painful erections. Worse still, I regularly see boys who are missing a bit of their glands, which is the head oh. of the penis. I even know boys who are missing a large part of their penis because of a circumcision carried mm. out too enthusiastically. Boys who lose the most sensitive part of their penis often have problems with sexuality. They are sexually disabled. Having a small penis is nothing compared with having a penis that's lost its sensitivity. And he talks a lot about that in this book, sensitivity versus size, sensitivity versus everything. Um, He goes back to say that can happen in circumcision or if a birth defect isn't treated properly because there are quite a lot of boys born with birth defects of the penis, which we'll talk about later. Such thing is a personal tragedy. Uh, Reversing a circumcision, Alex, is it possible, yes or no? Um, I think to some extent, yeah. And once again, it's it's one of these things that I've seen um, people do to get some of the skin back. But if you do, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be very minute. It's not going to be a major difference, I don't think. He's got here, reversing a circumcision, however, is impossible, whether successful or not. It is a question I'm asked more and more often, and I always have to disappoint. The ancient Greeks, of course, came up with a solution, though. Physicians detached the skin at the base of the penis, slid it up, and and thus covered the glands. Scar tissue then grew on the exposed shaft. In a more recent version, a flap of skin was put over the wound, but this method was extremely ugly too. The practice is no longer practiced anywhere, and a good job too. A covered glands can't justify the rest of your penis being mutilated. Yeah, now imagine, as I mentioned uh, on the last podcast, imagine stem cell therapy for that stuff. You can grow in a petri dish or in a test tube, whatever. You can grow foreskin and then put that on someone. I yeah. reckon that's amazing. And yeah, you can use yeah. someone's own blood mm. and stem cells to do that. So obviously the body's not going to reject it. I think that'd be be amazing. Yeah, he talks about that, um, the ability to potentially use stem cells and 3D printing in the future. Mm. Um, and yeah, one thing he also talks about is the microbiome of the penis. So every part of our body has its own microbiome. You know, our, our apparently our armpits mm-hmm. have the most diverse microbiome. Um, of course, our gut has, but even uh, you know, vaginas. But the penis, yeah, eyeballs, has its own, and yeah, everything, ocular microbiome. So the bacteria that the lives ears. there because it's meant to be there. Uh, so the penis has its own microbiome. True or false? True, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are no bacteria under the adhesion, says, so and um, he talks about the foreskin. There's only good and bad bacteria. Um, sorry, there's only good bacteria. And adhered foreskin isn't dirty and it doesn't need washing per se. So he talks about kids as they're growing up. Um, initially, boys, they're, and you 
I don't know, I don't have penis, I wouldn't know, but initially they can't pull their, their foreskin back. Yeah, so I, fun little story. Um, I used to have this this issue when I was younger and it used to bother me because my mum would try and encourage me to pull it back and clean it and stuff like that. She was never like forceful or pushy about it, but she just, you know, she did tell me when I was um, a preteen that, you know, later in life, I'm going to want to be able to pull it back. And she had the sex talk with me and everything. My parents are very open like that. Is your dad for circumcised? No. Okay. So how come he didn't have that talk with you? Why did your mom have it with my you? My mom had most of those talks. My dad was- Oh, right. My dad didn't have much of those talks with me. Oh, right. Um, and my mom speaks better English, so she can usually articulate things a little bit better okay. as well. So yeah, she she had that conversation with me. And when I was 13, I was at that point couldn't really pull it back much. It felt very tight, um, so I never used to pull it back. And then at thirteen, I made a decision. I said, by my fourteenth birthday, birthday, I'm going to be able to pull it back. So I think for a kid to make that, to make that that promise to themselves, and every time I had a shower, I'd try and pull it a little bit back, a little bit back. I'd get um, some some soapy water on a cotton bud, and I'd put it under the foreskin and try and clean it. Cause it was just super sensitive and mm. it, like I couldn't deal with the feeling of it. So I'd pull it back a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. By my 14th birthday, I had a malleable foreskin. I could, I could move it back and forward. So. But you would have been getting erections by then, right? Nighttime uh, erections. Definitely. And, yeah. So it, it, the, the act of an erection is going to pull that foreskin back for you, isn't it? Um, Not as much as you no? think because the penis isn't that big at that point. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's only after really throughout puberty you get most of the size. Mm. So, I mean, I'm guessing the actual total skin volume, including the foreskin of the penis, probably doesn't change as much as the actual size of the penile shaft and the structure of the penis itself. So, yeah, it was just one of those things that I had to knuckle down and, and really work on, but it worked. Mm. And obviously I <laughs> have a... A good relationship with my foreskin now. <laughs> you love your foreskin. Yeah. He um yeah, he tries to in his book he talks about concerned mothers and that um mothers shouldn't worry too much about their boys' foreskin. Uh there are too many myths around the foreskin. So much folklore is based on customs that have no factual medical or scientific basis. One must be wary of doctors recommending circumcisions when they work in healthcare systems that financially reward doctors for the number of services per performed. In essence, though, it's simple. You should concern yourself as little as possible with the foreskin unless a doctor says something is, a, is seriously wrong. And in cases like this, you should ask about non-surgical solutions as well. 99% of boys have a perfectly normal foreskin. Leave it be. Thank you. Pete Kit. Yeah. Kit Holbeck. Um, now, you do need to look after your foreskin uh, when you do pop into the shower. Uh, he does recommend a few things here. Uh, what do you do in the shower? I personally just pull it back, use soap. You know, I don't use any pH balanced soap or anything like that. I've used those before. I don't really notice a difference, to be honest. So I just clean it with soap and, and water and it's fine. Bit of sunlight soap, keeping it basic. Sunlight soap? <laughs> sunlight, you know, the bars of, of white, of yellow soap. Sunlight no. soap is a is like an Aussie. Um, nah, I find that kind of soap is a bit, um, I mean, it's not bad, but I find it, it's a bit drying. Okay. I'll tend to use like liquid soap if I can. If I have a bar of soap, it's fine, but. I find that stuff, liquid soap, tends to be a bit better for liquid soap. the old nether regions. He's written here, if you don't look after your foreskin, it will get dirty. 
There are myths out there that you mustn't use soap at all. You can, but don't use too much and rinse the residue off. Definitely don't use anti- antibacterial soap Definitely because don't. otherwise you might disturb the bacterial balance, your penile microbiome, and cause inflammation. It's like when you, if you use too much antibacterial stuff in your hands, your hands, you'll get dermatitis. And mm, I noticed, yeah, I noticed when the whole, you know, COVID thing started, I was a bit overzealous with the, the antibacterial stuff. I think a lot of, you know, rightfully so. It was a lot of, of fear mongering back then, but I was using it all the time and I was just getting really bad dermatitis between my fingers. So I just had to make sure that I was being sensible about how much I was washing my hands and um, using antibacterial. Yeah, you stuff. wouldn't have to moisturize your foreskin, would you? No, no, no. Yeah, no, nah, I wouldn't no, do that. But no. like the, the reason I bring that up is just as, as an analogy, you know, you don't want to be using that stuff on your penis. You don't want to dry it out, get it irritated and stuff mm. like that. The way I say to women is, um, yeah, the same applies to really your, your vulval vaginal health. You don't need to use this antibacterial soap, just basic soap, um, as, as basic as possible and water. And that is it. And some people would even say just water. You know, um, what would you recommend for if women are douching? I don't recommend douching. At I think all? they shouldn't. No, you reckon it's, it just strips too much of the microbiome? Yeah, it disturbs things, and it's, it's, it's not necessary. Yeah, I, I really don't think it is. There's, and, there, and there is evidence that then it can cause issues with imbalance of the microbiome, and then cause um, chronic inflammation and issues in women. So I don't. I think that's overzealous cleaning. Yeah, I don't think it's necessary. And uh, women, there aren't. I, I mean, I, I speak to women every day, and most women don't don't douche. Is there like? Do you think there's circumstances like why? Why it, do women douche? Like, what's the recommendation? Why would they? Have well, that they idea? think that it's cleaner. They feel cleaner. Um, mm. Sometimes it could be what their partner expects. Um, some people, it's a it's a it's a part of being OCD. Um, when we're when people have obsessive compulsive disorder they can get obsessed with certain things whether it's cleaning dishes or cleaning the vagina mm. and sometimes it could be an extension of that um do you, so do you think there per, is- it could be a personal thing it could be uh just uh that's how they prefer to be cleaned down there for that and that's their personal decision for some women they do it all their lives and have no issues yeah but when I see someone who comes to me with chronic vaginal infection or other issues um, and I ask about douching and if they are a doucher, I'll say, please stop douching. That's a please no-no. Yeah. Do you think it like can be used, um, you know, if women have some, some bad odors or whatever coming from down there that aren't normal, especially for, for them, they'd probably have a baseline for themselves. Do you think that's like as a obviously that's more of a an overall overall health thing? So there's other things that have to fix. Do you think as a shortstop, as like a whilst I'm working on my health, that can help to remove some of the odor or anything? Because I have come across maybe in the short term it might, but long term you've got to exclude infection. Usually odor is because there's an infection somewhere. Right. It's usually what's happening. Yeah. And uh, you can get probiotics for vaginal health as well, and that can work really nicely. Um, so looking at, um, lactobacillus rhamnosus, I think is in one and, uh, lactobacillus. There's a couple of lactobacillus strains Mm -hmm. that are good for vaginal health, but I I think the douching might help with short term as in reducing the smell, but long term, if you're looking at eliminating and fixing a problem, it's something you need to take off the list of the things you're doing. Yeah. So like short term, you think that 
they can use it whilst you're trying to fix other things. No, I don't recommend it. Right. Okay. But they might, but they might short term when they do it, um, realize, oh, I've done, I've done the douching now. I don't smell bad because why? Because they've usually douche with some soap that has some highly perfumed mm. component to it, and that's going to mask whatever is underlying for a bit. A bit like using deodorant, I suppose. Mm. There are some people who have in their armpits microbiomes um, that lead to really bad bo. Um, oh, I've smelt those people at the gym. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, and um, apparently I was reading somewhere that Koreans have the most odorless armpits in the world. They probably have some of the least hairy armpits. Yeah, maybe probably. I and find for me personally, mm. the hairier my armpits. I try and keep shaven most of the time, but the hairier my armpits, the the, the more bo I tend to have. Mm. Well, the probably because the, um, the hair. And, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. it's going to hang around a little bit more. So the last bit that he addresses in the uh, chapter on foreskin is the dreaded zip oh. and what happens when a man gets his foreskin stuck in a zipper. See, we bring up there's something about Mary again. <laughs> what happened there? Yeah. Oh, yes, it does. When he's younger and he, like, sees her across the road or whatever and he goes to um, to zip it up and then he gets caught. What happens then? What does he do? Does he... Pull it down. He tries to, and then it makes it worse. Yes. So they end up having to call like an ambulance, and it becomes a big thing. Wow! I haven't seen this movie for probably like <laughs> ten years, but yeah. <laughs> well, doctor here says the best thing to do when this happens is to cut out the zip with a pair of cutters. So I, you know, how often would you have a spare, a spare set of cutters lying around? So you can carefully pull the teeth apart, or cut the zip underneath the bit where your foreskin is caught, and pull the zip teeth apart in the same way. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling resistant to damaging the zip, tell yourself the trousers will wear out eventually anyway. Ideally, you want to keep your foreskin for life. And I shop at Kmart, so, you know, I'll probably spend 30 bucks on a pair of jeans. I'm not worried. <laughs> I'm not a, you know, uh, uh, what's an expensive pair of jeans? I don't know. Gucci, do they make jeans? I don't know anything yeah, about brands. I'm sure they so. do. Shall we make our way on to the chapter about erection? Sure. So- I've got an erection. Where do you start? Um, yeah, he just talks about a lot about the pornography, um, the pornographic film, and how you know any time you watch pornography, it's always an erect penis, and not ever a flaccid penis or an unerect penis. He's got he never has more pornography being produced than today, and yet at the same time, the phallus has disappeared more than ever from the public eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see many flaccid or unerect penises in pornography or is it always erect? Uh, no, I'd say like most of the time it's erect. Mm-hmm. I think the only time it'll be flaccid is like if it'll be like half erect usually. Let's say a woman's getting on her knees to give the man a blowjob or whatever and she's pulling it out. They're usually they've had a bit of fluffing time already there. And you've got someone that's got a, you know, quite a large penis. It's already fluffed it up a little bit. So it looks like it's, you know, flaccid, but it's probably 70, 60, 70% erect already. Mm. So, yeah, you don't really see flaccid penises, to be honest. Mm. Okay, I have a question. Mm. An erection exists only for intercourse. It is precisely this multifunctional vagina that shaped the penis over millions of years into its current form, true or false? I will say true. This is true. The vagina is a coital organ too, but of course we know that babies come from there as well or out of there. It's a, it's a passage. 
Um, when erect, the ideal proportion between length and circumference is 13.12 centimetres versus 11.66 centimetres, respectively. That ratio is 1 in 12 if you calculate the ratio, true or false. True. True. If the measurements deviate significantly from the ideal, the penis will stand out in the eyes of the average person. For example, a short and wide or long and narrow penis. And then he talks about, yes, porn actress Stormy Daniels, who allegedly astonished um, by what she saw. She was, she was astonished by what she saw between the legs of Donald Trump. She compared the presidential penis to the mushroom character from the video game Mario Kart. The description is certainly cute, but is a penis like that attractive too? Question, when he got his penis out, did it go, yeah, I'm the best. <laughs> did it do that? You'll have to ask Stormy Daniels that question. And to be fair, like, look, I'm not anti or pro-Trump. I'm a political centrist, as I said. But you've got a dude that's overweight. He clearly has a... I think he maybe he's gained more weight since he became the president. Yeah, he's, he's a mm. big dude now. Mm. He's um, also he's he's very tall. Donald Trump's actually really tall. Yeah, most presidents apparently of the United States have always been at least six foot or more. Yeah, I think there's discrimination. We need to see. Don't worry about black president. Don't worry about that stuff. We just need to see five foot nine presidents. We don't see enough of that. <laughs> don't worry about female presidents. No, don't worry about that. I see. So yeah, you got this like this tall guy who's overweight. He's probably not got much of his penis hanging out, and then a woman who sleeps with men that usually have, you know, seven and a half to potentially up to 10 inch penises, of course, it's going to look significantly smaller. He may have a statistically small penis, but let's say he's even got an average size or slightly below average. All of those factors, I think, combined are going to go, that's a, that's a but small But I have to dip. say, you know, um, I, think it's, I think it was very uncool for her to talk about any man's penis. You don't need to do that. I no. just think it's very uncool that she, she did that. But there was some there was some legal stuff between them that was yeah. outside of the whole yeah. penis thing. So yeah, I think I think she had signed an NDS and then maybe went against it. I can't remember exactly. Um, that's not what this podcast is about. But I think yeah, there's no real need to talk no. about that. It's just not anyway. That's my opinion. Um, there are two corpora cavernosa. So this is an anatomy question. There are two corpora cavernosa which point the erection upwards. True or false? True. True. Corpora cavernosa, definitely not a Greek word. I think that's more Latin. Are you uh, giving credit to someone else yes, for once? Yeah. The Greeks didn't create this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, the I think that the corpora cavernosa were one of the the bulbous spongiosus, ischia cavernosus, and corpora cavernosa were three of the muscles that I learned first when I was at med school. Right. Yeah, and they are all I don't think Greek. They're all Latin. Well, they would come from the same word. I imagine it would just mean like cave body or body <laughs> of like a cavernous body. I imagine that's what the they would corpora cavernosa. That would make sense, right? Yeah, because it fills up with stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. At rest, an equal amount of blood flows into and out of the corpora. During an erection, the blood supply increases and the outflow is closed off. This means more blood goes in than out and the penis swells and becomes erect. Thanks to the specific structure of the corpora, they swell to a certain volume and then come up against great pressure. The penis is not only swollen, it feels hard too. And he goes, it's the same system as with tyres on a bike. 
Mm-hmm. That double layer going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's already written here, we have already seen that the reason why humans have the biggest penis is down to the size of the vagina, which adapted to the larger head of a human baby. The corona of gland's penis also adapted to the vagina, but we still don't know what its function is. Can you tell us about what the corona of the gland's penis is, Alex? Just quickly, what does corona translate to? I think it means... Um, uh, think of a Corona beer bottle. What's above it? Uh, isn't it like a crown? Crown, yeah. Yeah. Another Latin word. Yeah. Correct. I think of... Um, and a coronavirus, obviously the actual virus itself has... It looks like it's got a crown on it, the shape of the actual hmm. under a microscope. So, yeah. Um, you asked me what the Corona is? Yeah, of the gland's penis. It's just like the, the ridge head of it yeah. underneath. So it's just really when you look at a mushroom... Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the, the bottom ridge of the it. The bottom ridge of the mushroom. Yep. Yep. Um, Did you ask what the purpose was, or just what is it? Uh, what is it? Yeah, that's, yeah so that's we've what talked it is, about yeah. that. Yep. Um, a healthy vagina has a low pH level, and sperm cells are sentenced to death in that acidic environment if they don't quickly make their way towards the womb and fallopian tubes. True or false? True. That um that comment, that sentence reminded me of um, one of my lectures at medical school, and uh, it was histology. My our histology tutor sat up in lecture one day and he said, "Now, boys, the vagina is a very hostile environment, <laughs> and yes, hostile to sperm, which is why they have to swim really quickly." Uh, sperm that's left behind might not be competition anymore, but it can block the way for a new army of sperm cells. Mm-hmm. The theories don't stop there. The mucous membranes in the vagina and the Bartholin's glands, glands at the entrance of the vagina, produce vaginal discharge, which contains a range of substances. The acidity of this discharge protects the vagina from germs, but the discharge also contains neuropeptides. These are substances which, with which nerve cells communicate and which also function like hormones. The assumption is that these substances collect in the groove, the sulcus, under the corona, and they are then absorbed by the mucous membrane of the foreskin. Some hypotheses suggest that the female hormones arouse a feeling of connection in the man. In that sense, sexual intercourse is a form of communication older than spoken language. Whether the theory will survive through scientific research remains to be seen, but it is a nice thought all the same. He's going to talk about mating dogs now. Should we talk about the theories behind why the corona exists? Tell us. Um, So I've seen different theories about it. Uh, I'll say hypotheses because obviously a theory is a proven hypothesis. Um, One of them is that it would act basically as a scraping tool. So when uh, the male would go have sex with a female, if there was potentially a partner, another male that had been in there before and deposited the, the semen, it would act as a scraping tool to pull out. That's why it's the, the corona sticks out more than the rest of the head um, of the glands of the penis. So it pulls it out and removes other semen so that it can deposit its own to replace it. Um. Is that more in animals, like other mammals, or is it? No, no, in humans, oh, definitely. Okay. I think I think uh, it would be 
guessing we probably would have gotten it from apes originally. That would have been one of the main theories behind it. He talks about some other theories in the book. I, th- I think they're probably coming up now. Mm. He talks about something called penis captivus. Mm. With mating dogs, the penis can sometimes get stuck in the vagina. This is known as penis captivus or a trapped penis. Persistent rumors exist of this happening in humans, but I've never had a patient report such a thing to me. No, nah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I do like the word though, penis captivus. If you can get it in, you can get it out. <laughs> uh, what's the other thing? The um, Yeah, it was true. There's an in and there's an out. There's got to be an out somehow. What about cats? Cats have like weird barbed penises. Ooh. Yeah, they've got like barbs that stick out. Mm, so never if, seen the, that. if the female tries to run away, it I'm actually, not a cat person, so yeah, I, mm. I'm not really either. But mm. um, it hooks into the vagina, right? Well, so like it would like like a, something from saw, you know, like it would just scrape on the way out. Do you reckon it hurts those? Yeah, that's hurt? why the females don't disconnect and run away. Oh, it's basically rape. Oh so God! They go in. That's why I think you hear cats screaming all the time. Oh goodness! In an alleyway. Yeah. Oh no, those poor cats. Yeah, but that's just that's just what it that's is. Made me want to go and read up about. Cat copulation now. Go for it. <laughs> we were talking about the corona before. And uh, again, why I think it's important for people to kind of read books about stuff because, yeah, you'll ask, have some people say, oh, what are those like bumps around my penis? And he talks about pearly penile popules. And these are small bumps around the corona, which are usually found in rows. These stand out more in some men than others. There's nothing to worry about. They aren't warts that you've contracted from unprotected sex. Uh, We assume that these papules bring about extra simulations. So if you don't really know anything about penises, then you might, you know, see a penis with this, uh, you know, the penile popules and go, oh, my God, he had warts. I think he had warts. Am I going to get warts? Um, Yeah. I've got very, very small ones under the glands like they're not they just look like they're part of the corona um, but i have seen pictures of men that have large ones around the penis they look like penile implants they look like little Ooh. like little marble like little, sort of little things. mushrooms no nah, not quite they just look like half of a very small marble under the skin mm. um, so there is a and even that isn't necessarily like it's not a health issue or anything so it's more if if a man wants to get them removed, it's more down to personal preference. But you know, some women they love it ribbed, so hmm. it can be beneficial, I guess. Yeah. He's got here that you can actually remove these papules by laser beam, mm. but the nerve endings will undoubtedly come under fire too. Yeah, it's always it's all about nerves, nervous sensitivity. Uh, you always have to ask if it's really worth risking a piece of your sensitivity for the sake of a slightly better appearance. And yes, shades, different shades of glands. So glands, the glands of the penis will always take on a different color. Yeah, you got tomato, you got aubergine, you got, you know. Dark red, purple, pink. The whole nightshade family there. (laughs) They are all normal. The glands is also red or reddish in men with a darker skin tone. It's just slightly more pigmented. Mm. You'll see that a lot in porn actually. Yep, just, yeah, different colors. I've seen. I've been watching porn for a long time. Um, you'll see a lot of different colors. I, th- I think it's not a big deal. Uh, do you ever see yellows? No. Sometimes you'll see like the head of the penis will be really white. Mm. And you'll be like, "What the hell?" Um, albino. Maybe it's albi- albino head. No, nah, no. Nah, it's just like it just happens to be really white. But 
Yeah, I think it's just it, the main difference you'll see is with different races will have different mm. colors. Um, he then talks about nighttime erections and the importance of them. Healthy men get an erection between six and eight times a night. Do you know how often they are? On how, average? On average. Isn't that wait, eight, six and eight times a night? They're usually about every 90 minutes. Oh, yeah. cycles. That's, a, that's like a, a, a cyclical, a, yeah. Yeah, a cycle in a sleep cycle. Oh, interesting. Funny that. And usually don't even notice it. They, they don't usually notice it. You don't think about sex while you sleep unless you're having an erotic dream and your penis still gets hard. Once again, it's the parasympathetic nervous system that's responsible for this. So the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. What's so important about that? Well, that's it's part of the autonomic nervous system. You've got the two branches of the autonomic nervous system, parasympathetic and the sympathetic. So parasympathetic is the rest, digest, recover, sleep. You know, the if you look at yin and, and yang. And reproduce. And reproduce. Reproduce, yeah. yes. Um it's the it's the yin in yin and yang. It's the the feminine energy, the the cooling, the water. And then you've got the sympathetic, which is a fight or flight response. It's amped up, adrenaline. Um, you know, go lift weights, get angry, go for a sprint. It's the the male energy, the fire, the yang energy. So during sex, you don't want that yang because that'll make you come quickly. But you want to be relaxed, be able to breathe slowly, get your heart rate down. Uh, and that's what happens when you're in sleep, if you've got good sleep cycles. So the whole thing about wet dreams. Mm-hmm. So can you ejaculate at night and not know? Do you wake up with, with- Yeah, it's weird. Like I don't really ever remember. I think maybe as a teenager I might have had a couple, um, but I was probably masturbating. <laughs> I think the more, the more, no, no, like I mean- the more sexually active you are, either through masturbation or through intercourse, the less likely you are to have wet dreams. Oh, right. So if a man abstains completely from sex and masturbation, he's going to get wet dreams. There has The body- Has to release somehow. Yeah, uses mm-hmm. erections and ejaculation as a cyclical thing. Um, but, you know, as we mentioned prior, that it uses it as a, as a technique to keep the mechanism strong. It's just like, you know, training your biceps or, or whatever so you can keep them strong. You've got to use it or lose it sort of scenario. Yeah, very much so. so the body about that a lot in the book. Clearly, you know, we look at anything that if the body automatically does it or produces it, that it's probably important. Mm. So, you know, if the body's always doing that, it clearly sees it as a priority because carrying on the seed is going to be a massive priority. Yes. Huge problem. Yeah, so the body goes, all right, I'm going to make sure that this, this mechanism stays strong. Mm. And I imagine that that would become less and less as you get older because, you know, we don't tend to reproduce after 40, 50, all that stuff. Yeah, maybe, at least that, maybe that's why that does decline because um, there's no need to reproduce. That plus, you know, people get overweight, they have, you know, coronary issues, all that kind of stuff. That's but right. I think it's, it's a combination of different factors. That's why you still get men in the 60s and 70s who can have kids. Mick Jagger. Yeah. How, how can I quick aside? How the hell are the Rolling Stones Stone still alive? <laughs> uh, I, like oh yeah, them, right. Ozzy yes. Osbourne. I'd yeah, I think out, um, maybe the Eastern medicine practitioners will say they were born with good um, 
key or good energy to start with. I think it's just prim- old. That primordial energy then. Old English people, they don't die. <laughs> old English rockers don't die. Who knows? There's a line from Get Him to the Greek that Mick Jagger is going to outlive Miley Cyrus. They just don't. They don't die. There's some, there's some inherent um, cellular stuff going on there. The I amount think. of crap they've put in their body. They have. But so there, there, there's something inherent energetically, is, uh, cellular-wise, I think, that, that gives those people that, that advantage. Anthony Kiedis from, the, from Red Hot Chili Peppers, same thing. Yeah, and a, and a stroke of good luck, I think, yeah. with those people. Far out, man. Um, every man is familiar with the morning erection, or well, hopefully they should be, because apparently morning erections are very good for penises. The erection you wake up with. This is actually the last nighttime erection. Because your bladder is full, an additional nerve signal is sent to the penis, making the erection a bit more constant. The testosterone level is also at its highest in the morning, which is why when I ask a man to do a testosterone level, I will specify, please do this test in the morning. The male hormone level fluctuates during the 24-hour period of the day, and we don't know exactly why it peaks on waking up. Evolution gives us one possible explanation. If you wake up in the morning, it means you have survived the night and you are probably in a safe location. Mm-hmm. You can make the most of this by having a go of reproducing. Whatever the reason, the additional peak in hormone levels makes morning erections an indisputable fact. So, Alex, what is the point in having a sequence of nighttime erections? After all, you don't have sex while you sleep. We answered it before. I think just keeping that mechanism strong and, uh, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, he talks about a car sits unused for too long during the winter months. It might get a bit of a flat battery just when you need it most. Mm -hmm. It's the same with the penis. If you only get an erection when you need it for sex, the mechanism might fail just when you want it to work. If you're not getting erections at night anymore, it's time to see a cardiologist. In the past... We use the postage stamp test to assess this. And I remember this <laughs> reading this in textbooks all the time, this postage yeah. stamp business. And when I started my training in reproductive medicine, I naively asked some of the nurses, do we have like postage stamps hanging around on the ward? And they're like, dude, that just doesn't happen anymore um, because, you know, we've got other ways of assessing. But the postage stamp technique around the penis before going to sleep is important and if the strip was broken come the morning he had had a nighttime erection a good sign we no longer do that not because the test is doesn't work or didn't work but because postage stamps are now self-adhesive right and you know what in australia they're expensive it's like a dollar a stamp now so hey it's an expensive test so if let's say the doctor doctor recommended it to you back in the day would he like would the doctor Recommend that your partner licks your penis and then puts a stamp on it. <laughs> you know, I actually think it would be a good biology experiment um, depending on what stage kids are at high school. Um, you know, I know one thing I like about this guy and I talked about in the last um, episode, this the author, of course, Dr. Piet Holbeck, is that in, he encourages penis, penal, penisfulness and vaginafulness, that is, <laughs> you know, awareness of your body. And I actually reckon it would be a really cool uh, school experiment to to say to kids, hey, take a, get some postage stamps and, and see what happens. Um, it's I think it would be very interesting. I think we need to teach kids about sex and all this stuff. It just gets um, – They are taught, but I don't know how. Nah. When I was in school – But also are kids ready for it, you know? It's a weird thing because kids are already sending each other dick pics when they're 14 yeah, or 15. True. You know? Like it's just it's ridiculous. And, but – 
I think the way they're taught, the curriculums that are built around how they're taught, it's just I don't think it's very effective. I think some countries do it better than others, I would probably. I think the northern European countries like the Netherlands, Scandi countries do it a lot better than say Australia, but then again I'm not a teacher and I don't teach those classes, but um Yeah, but they tend to be a little bit more progressive and a little bit more open, I think, mm. as a society, you know, like mm. how long has has the Netherlands had marijuana legalized and prostitution and mm. all that stuff. So I think there's there's these adult concepts which are more normalizers in society. Not as taboo. Yeah, they probably wouldn't have as many taboos. And I imagine they would have would they be less religious in Netherlands, I yes, imagine? Yes, they are. They're yeah. more, sec- a more secular society. They're quite, quite, quite uh, Catholic, Christian in some areas. Um, I feel like we're, we're a little bit more conservative in Australia. We're yeah. not as conservative probably as like America, for example. But, but America's so diverse. Yeah, it's like coastal and, um, you know, you get the- Land of great contradictions. Yeah. Another question for you. Nighttime erections also maintain penis length, true or false? Definitely true. Yes, you can think of it like a form of stretching. Unfortunately, the cycle malfunctions in impotent men, so their penis often gets shorter. Another question for you. Erectile dysfunction, so when a man can't get a penis, a man can't get an erection properly. Uh, Can it be due to issues like nervous system issues and blood flow problems and hormonal issues? 100%. 100%. All of, all of those things together? 100%. Yeah. Smoking, diabetes, and obesity do little to help penis stiffness, true or false? True. Yeah. A lot of it's about blood flow, blood supply. Uh, he, well, Can I got, tell you an interesting little uh, Yep. that goes with this, a little yes. aside again? Yes. Um, yeah. My dad's probably not going to listen to this podcast, so <laughs> tell a story know. about him. He, doesn't, he barely knows how to use a computer. And he'd <laughs> laugh if you heard it anyway. Um. He had a heart attack a few years ago. He got a double bypass. And then I remember about a week or two or like maybe a month after he got his operation, um, you know, his health could improve. He could breathe better and all this stuff, right? And the one thing he's like, oh, Alice, uh, it's very funny. My my willy, it go, it go bigger now. It's double the size. <laughs> so your dad's from Spain, is that right? Yeah. Is that a Spanish accent? You're yeah. So he'd be, uh, he'd be saying... You know, his penis grew significantly after the, the operation because he clearly was not getting enough blood flow down there. And then he got the operation, get some oxygen, some blood down there, and he's getting harder than, harder than trigonometry. So <laughs> Harder than trigonometry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, true or false? If you can squeeze your penis until it becomes soft, that might be amusing to watch, but it's also normal. That is not normal. Okay, Why? Um, why you shouldn't be able to squeeze the blood back out of your penis. It should mm. stay in there. Uh, okay. Thank you for answering that. That's, that's, that's yes. Um, any other, like, I don't know, any fancy mechanisms behind it, but. Yeah, I think, I think that's a simple message yeah. you've just given us there. Uh, again, about blood flow. Now, anxiety is the biggest enemy of an erection, true or false? 100%. I know that from experience. Yeah. And look, um. You know, in, in seeing a lot of couples who are trying to conceive, uh, performance anxiety comes up a lot, you know, when when the woman says, okay, now I'm ovulating, I'm, ov- I'm going to ovulate soon, let's do it now. A lot of men have an issue with them performing. Uh, it's a real thing. And uh, sometimes they can get a- around it by 
uh, just practicing better foreplay or I often say to women, don't tell him you're ovulating, just bring it on, get frisky Mm. or try and just have sex randomly three or four times a week if you can. Um, If I'm in bed and my my girlfriend was to grab my my bits or whatever, I wouldn't be like, no, it's sleep time. You know, like I think most men – Providing they're not, you know, so far down the track that they're not attracted to their partner or whatever, that's different. But if you're still attracted to your partner and, you know. What if you're just tired? I've been in those scenarios where I'm like, I just want to go to sleep. Make it a morning thing. Mm. You know, like if it's really that important, you do want to have kids. You're going to try to do some different things, I think. Mm. Yeah. So in the morning, I know for me personally, I'm much more up for it in the morning. Mm-hmm. Obviously, testosterone being higher in the morning. Um, tend to wake up with an erection pretty much well every morning. Yeah, I'm, I'd be much more up for it at night. I'm usually pretty tired, so yeah, like most men. Yeah, wake up earlier, whatever. Get your business done. When pills don't work anymore, we put in a penile implant, giving your penis a new inner tube made from silicon. Uh, personally, I've not actually looked after a couple where the guy has a penile implant, but um. Obviously, it does exist and happen. Well, my mum had a friend who is now passed away, but he was in his 80s and he got one. Oh, right. So he had like a you know hot young girlfriend or whatever. All right. And he got one and he'd have to manually pump up. And it worked? Yeah, I guess so. Like my mum told me about it. Yeah, right. They obviously were very close friends and had those conversations with each other. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it's, it's a thing I think probably more in older men um, who maybe don't want to go down the pill route mm. or whatever. Yeah, because sometimes those pills, they cannot be given to all men for various reasons. Yeah, high blood pressure or all that kind of mm. stuff because it does increase blood pressure. That's right. Transiently, but it still increases it. P- potentially can kill a man. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be very rare. Um, question, an erection shouldn't last forever, true or false? I think it's false. You should be able to walk around with an <laughs> erection all the time. <laughs> that would be scary. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely should not be able to walk around with an erection 24-7. So the answer to that question is? What was the question? <laughs> an erection shouldn't last forever. True. Okay. Priapism. Mm-hmm. What is the word? What does that mean, the word priapism? Uh, I can't remember now. Well, of course, it's a Greek word. Yeah, okay, that's why I don't know. It's it. when an erection won't go away, it's called priapism. Well, clearly, that's what we were just talking about, so <laughs> that makes sense. The condition is named after Priapus, the Greek god of fertility. Frescoes in the Roman city of Pompeii depict him strutting his enormous penis. Priapus may have been the protector of the penis, but anyone who suffers from priapism is right to be concerned. Any experiences there? With having a huge dong that won't (laughs) go down? No, definitely not. No? Uh, No, definitely no priapism for me. Um, I found even if I have used Viagra in the past when I have, um, I used it mainly like my erections are fine. It's just when I, you know, before I had a partner, it would just be if You're I just was curious. No, it was more like if I was going to sleep with different people, mm-hmm. um, I would use it as kind of a prophylactic, prophylactic so that the anxiety, the nerves wouldn't affect me. But clearly, you know, if you've got a partner long-term, that doesn't become an issue anymore for most people. Well, there's still quite a lot of people who have long-term partners that still need things. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I found it was just for me, it was purely like an anxiety, performance anxiety thing. Mm. Um, but that's obviously not really an issue anymore. But um, even when I've used those things, you know, you can go for a couple of rounds, erection goes down. It's fine. I've never had any any issue with priapism. If the erection lasts more than 24 hours, your penis will be irreparably, irreparably damaged, true or false. True. Mm, it's kind of scary. Could you imagine? I can't imagine. That would hurt so much yeah. having one for even like over a couple of hours. I can't imagine that. Yeah, I remember when I was in medical school and training at St. Vincent's Hospital in the 90s, um, I was in the emergency department and one of my senior doctor fellows who was who I was kind of tagging and learning from said, oh, we've got a guy who's coming with priapism. And um, he was just talking about how much pain he was in. And at the time he had to pull blood off this guy's penis to get the priapism down. Like, um, like suck it out like with a, a syringe, syringe or yeah. fire out. Mm. The effect is similar, if you like, to what would happen if you wrapped an elastic band around your thumb a few times. First, your thumb would go red and swollen because the blood can't escape. If you don't remove the elastic band, no new oxygen would get in and the local tissue would die. Your thumb would turn black. Priapism won't make your penis turn black and fall off. That only happens in very extreme cases. But the entire chemical factory inside your penis is damaged. If you wait too long to see a doctor about priapism, you'll never be able to get a spontaneous erection again, and the only help you will ever have will be from a penile implant. So forget your embarrassment, save your penis, and yes, go to your local emergency department. Isn't that insane when you think about it? Like your dick could get so hard that you can no longer use it ever again. Maybe not not as effectively as ever again. Or Like yeah. you can never get a, an erection. Mm. That's like. We've got, and that's why he says in the last sentence in this chapter about erections is, the penis must rest. After all, the real purpose of the penis isn't to get erections, but to deliver sperm. And that will bring us to the end of this episode. And next week we will continue next episode we will continue with the chapter about sperm thank you alex cool tash thank you i hope you've enjoyed this episode with alex nori ballesteros that it's inspired you to pick up dr pierre horbeck's book join us next episode for more about the member share this episode with someone if you think it will help them please subscribe to the fanny mechanic channel and if you haven't already hop over and give the show a fantastic rating shoot me a message on instagram dr tash fanny mechanic and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview or books for us to read and share. Until next time, stay Fanny Tabulous.